Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And let's trust the Lord to comfort our souls this morning in our great brother, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend, our King, and the lover of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We admit and preach boldly and believe completely that Jesus Christ is King. Right. We believe, according to the testimony of Scripture, that He's King of kings, Amen. that He is Lord oh. of lords, that He is the blessed and only potentate, right. that He dwells in a light that no man can approach unto, no man hath seen nor can see. He is King. But is He a King that reigns distant from his people, with no ability to relate to their lives? Or is he a king of compassion? A king that has experienced everything that we experience and is able to succor them that suffer in this life. Indeed, it's the latter. He is not a distant king. I have mentioned this song before. We do not believe that God is watching us from a distance. Amen. We do not believe that at all. That is a blasphemous song. The God of the Bible is nothing like that. The God of the Bible is watching us close at hand. Amen. The Lord is a very present help in time of trouble, not a distant observer. Right. There's a huge difference. Amen. And for you to have comfort for your souls, we need to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is close at hand. Every heart here this morning Every heart that hears my voice has pain in some way for something, has fear, has temptation, has guilt, doubt, disappointment, confusion, trouble. Yet we have a king that wants to take care of us when we're experiencing all those things. We read the words of the sweet psalmist of Israel. He said, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. That was Psalm 142. If David could say that, I know that I can speak on behalf of all of you, that there is confusion, doubt, disappointment, fear, trouble, pain in your hearts. But I want to speak to your hearts this morning about the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about him, that though he be a king, And though he sits on high and dwells in a light that no man can approach unto, yet he cares. Care is sympathetic affection. Care is sympathetic affection, and Jesus cares. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. It says in this little verse, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Amen. Does Jesus care? Yes, yes, he does. We'll sing it. Just give me a few minutes. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. He is a great king, but he cares. Amen. He has sympathetic love for our souls. And when our spirits are overwhelmed within us, there is a place to run and hide, and it's with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when we have cares that are burdening us down and crushing our spirits, whether they be doubts or fear, confusion, worry, pain, or trouble, if we cast those upon him, he cares for us. He has sympathetic love for us. He knows, he feels, and he will deliver us. Amen. Does he really know? Does the Lord Jesus Christ really know what's going on in your life? Does Jesus Christ really know your soul? Well, it says, cast your cares upon him, for he careth for you. You can't care for someone that you don't know. Surely he knows us. But we have other verses than that that we can look at this morning. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Does Jesus care for a troubled soul? Does Jesus care about your pained heart? Yes, he does care. The great Lord Jesus Christ cares about each and every one of your hearts and souls. I want you to look at how well he knows your soul. I want to start with the 12th verse. I have to go way back to that 12th verse to find the words I want. For the word of God is quick, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Does he know your soul? My Lord Jesus Christ can divide and separate your soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Our Lord Jesus Christ sees right inside you to your soul and your spirit is able to separate them, which I can't. Don't ask me to separate your soul and spirit this morning because it says he's able to do that. It doesn't say I'm able to do that. And he's able to discern every thought and intent of your heart. It is a shame that the majority of Christians in our country do not understand Hebrews 4.12. They think that it is talking about the book, the Bible. For the word of God is quick and powerful. They see the, the words, word of God, and they think that it's talking about the Bible. That verse isn't talking about the Bible. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, which that 13th verse makes so manifestly evident. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes, the eyes that burn as a flame of fire of him with whom we have to do. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't discern the thoughts or intents of your heart. The Bible doesn't divide between your soul and spirit. The Bible doesn't divide between your joints and your marrow. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that does that. But they all go off quoting Hebrews 4.12 to describe the Bible. The Bible isn't alive. The Bible's a book. Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. For the word of God is quick. That means to be alive. He knows, brethren. He knows you so well, he can divide between your soul and spirit. No matter how hard I try, no matter how many hours I might spend with you or you with me, you will not be able to divide between my soul and spirit, but he does. Amen. And he discerns. That means you don't have to tell him, brethren. 
He discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. Is that comforting to you this morning? He discerns it. He knows it. He senses it. He feels it. The thoughts and intents of your heart. It's all naked and open to him. He knows every bit of pain. There might be an event affecting ten of us in this congregation this morning. Don't let your imaginations run wild. Pick any event you want and any ten of you that you wish. Every one of you will have a different attitude toward it. Every one of you will have different thoughts about it. Everyone will have different intents about it. But do you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ is of infinite wisdom and understanding and care to know all of them. Every one of those thoughts and intents. Praise his holy name. Amen. Do you know what my Lord Jesus Christ said when he was on earth? He said, why in the world do you take thought for what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear? Doesn't your heavenly father already know that you have need of these things? That's his knowledge. Does Jesus know? He already knows all that you need. Now, he wants us to pray because he wants to see our dependence upon him. He wants to see us coming to him, but he already knows. Everything in your heart that you're struggling with, he knows. He knows where you have a need for strength, and he will not let his righteous fail. He will not let his righteous be moved that put their trust in him. Look at Psalm 34 and verse 15. Psalm 34 and verse 15. You are blessed people. You are blessed. Because you live on this side of the Lord Jesus Christ. The heavens and the earth have been shaken. And the stuff that was nothing but dust has floated away. And what is permanent and forever is here to stay. And that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want to show you a verse that you can appreciate more than David. Psalm 34 and verse 15. The face of the Lord... Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. I want you to see from this, because right now we're answering the question, does Jesus know? Does he really know what I'm suffering? Does he really know my pain, my disappointment, my grief, my anger, my confusion? Does he know? It says the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Both the eyes and the ears of God are open and working to know all that's going on in your life. But David had to know as he was penning these words by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that God doesn't have eyes and he doesn't have ears. Now God doesn't need eyes and he doesn't need ears. He sees better than eyes and he hears better than ears. But I want to tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ. He has eyes and ears, literal eyes and literal ears, and he sees and he hears. And he hears me right now, and he hears what you're thinking, and he sees the intents of your heart and the thoughts of your heart, because all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's the Lord Jesus. He knows. What are you most worried about in your life this morning? What are you most troubled with? He knows. What are you least troubled with, but it's there on your list? He knows. Does he feel? 
Does the Lord Jesus Christ, it's one thing for him to know. We've always believed that God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. But does he feel? Does he know that it hurts? Hebrews chapter 4 again. Hebrews chapter 4 again. Does he feel? Does he know the pain? Does he know how it affects our souls? Yes, he does. Hebrews chapter 4. We read verses 12 and 13, which prove that he knows because he sees everything and he's able to discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. But notice what effect that should have on us as we think about it. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Amen. This Word of God, this Lord Jesus Christ that knows all things, that knows the thoughts and intents of your heart, is a priest. What is a priest in the Bible? Someone who is able to go between you and God and make peace with God for you. Someone who is able to understand your sins and to receive your confession and your sacrifice and offer it to God on your behalf, and God receives it. He is a high priest. A priest is someone who can commiserate with sinners. And Jesus can commiserate. Jesus feels, because he was tempted at all points, like as we are. You don't have a trouble in your life that Jesus Christ did not experience when he was here in this world of an equal sort. Yet his was without sin. He was forsaken by his best friends. He was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, with whom he had invested three and a half years of his life. He was tempted. And he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It is not sacrilegious nor demeaning to the Lord Jesus Christ to mention the fact that he's feeling. This is what the Bible says about him. He feels our heart. And whatever pain is in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ feels it. If you look right there in Hebrews, come back a page to chapter 2, and verse 18, you'll see another verse that's very similar to what we just read. It says in verse 18, For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He was tempted. Are you tempted? Are you troubled by your temptations at times? So was he, yet without sin. And he is able to succor. To succor someone is to help them with aid, with comfort, with strength, when they need it. And he's able to help with aid, with comfort, with strength, when we need it, because he was tempted. God is not just reserved himself to be a spirit he was made flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that flesh high priest that we have, he knows you and he feels with you because he was here on this earth and he lived a life for 33 and a half years that faced all the human infirmities that we have and all the temptations that we have. 
And because of that experience, he is a great high priest in heaven, able to understand what we're going through and to make peace with God and to bring God's aid and help to us when we need it. We sometimes read the verse in Jeremiah 9 that says that we should glory in the Lord because he exercises loving kindness in the earth. But not only does that verse say that he exercises loving kindness in the earth, it says that he delights in those things. The Lord Jesus Christ delights in loving kindness. So when you feel that no one understands, no one can relate to the pain of your soul, he delights in showing loving kindness. He is not a God that requires weeks and weeks of your beseeching him to come to your aid. He delights in showing loving kindness. Jesus said that he was the true shepherd. He said, everyone else that you've ever met in your life is a hireling. Right. He said, whenever the wolves come, the hireling runs because he's afraid. And I stay. That's John 10, 13. Because he is the good shepherd. We are his sheep. And he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He stays and keeps us. Though everyone else that we're going to meet, in a religious sense especially, and in any other sense, is going to run when the trouble gets bad enough. But not the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Psalm 27 and verse 10. And I hope this morning that one or more of these passages will mean so much to you that you'll either write them down or that you'll remember them to take with you as your companions. Tonight, when you look at Psalm 119, you're going to see so many references to the fact that we ought to be taking his word with us because it's our companion and it keeps us. It keeps us from being ashamed. It keeps us from being troubled. It keeps us from being afraid. And so I hope that there may be some verses that we see this morning that you take great comfort in and will be of help to you. In Psalm 27, verse 10, David said, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Now, by the nature of things, your mother and father will usually be the last ones to forsake you. Usually. That's the nature of the parental relationship. But when your mother and your father do forsake you, if things get so bad in your life that even your parents are forsaking you, the Lord will take you up. Amen. Does Jesus care? Amen. He cares so much that when your mother and your father forsake you, he will not. Right. He will take you up. And how many times do we have in the word of God that our, fa- our father in heaven is better than any earthly father? Amen. How many times? Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Amen. If any child looks at that verse and says, my father doesn't pity me much, well, then you must not be obeying your father. Because the Bible says that it's a law of nature, that when a son serves his father faithfully, his father loves him and will take care of him. That's Malachi chapter 3. Jesus said, if ye, being evil fathers, know how to give good gifts, how much more? How much more does your heavenly father know to give good gifts to them that ask him? And so when we go to him in prayer because we're hurting, he is like a father. No father that has an obedient, faithful son that is hurting 
will deny him. He will go to bat for him. He will rescue him. He will provide what he needs. And the Lord Jesus Christ crushes any of us. As earthly fathers, he is so much better. Because we're evil, he's not. How much more shall our Heavenly Father take care of us? The Lord Jesus Christ cares better than any father. I am not confusing Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father either because the Bible says that my Lord Jesus Christ is the everlasting Father. I want you to see how tenderly he felt for Israel. Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Does Jesus feel? Does he care? We've seen that he knows. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows everything about you. And yes, he does feel. He's been touched with every feeling and infirmity and temptation and trouble that we've ever had. And he's able to help us because of that experience. Jeremiah 31, verse 20. Is Ephraim, my dear child, my dear son, is he a pleasant child? Here's a father that loves his son, his child. Notice how he speaks. Jeremiah 31, 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Look at these statements in this verse. He is a dear son. We are not just sons. We're dear sons. We're dear because we were purchased for a dear price. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we dear, we're so far ahead of Ephraim and Israel in the Old Testament sense. This is a covenant relationship that we now have through Jesus Christ. This was a covenant relationship for the most part based on a relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? And sometimes the Lord must speak against us. But the Bible tells us, since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. When you know that you're undergoing chastening from the Lord, look at the promise. I do earnestly remember him still. What do we think when we're being chastened? He's forsaken us. The Lord's left me. What does the Bible say? I do earnestly remember him still. And that's what you need to remember. Yes, he feels. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. Bowels are the seats of your emotions and your compassion and feelings. My bowels are troubled for him. My dear son, my, pre- my pleasant child, I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Now, that's a comforting verse. That's a comforting verse. I earnestly remember him still, even when you think he's forgotten you, and my bowels are troubled for him. Now, that is true care. That is sympathetic affection. When someone's bowels are troubled, when you have your insides turned upside down for someone else through empathy, not because they hurt you. That doesn't count. 
It's because you love them and you realize they're hurting. For your bowels to be turned upside down, to be troubled because of someone else's pain, that is empathy and sympathy of the highest order. And the Lord has that for us. Yes, he feels. Now there's a question that needs to be asked since Jesus is king. And he knows. And he can feel. And he does feel. Does he have time? I mean, after all, he's king of kings and lord of lords. And look who you are. Look at what I am. Does he have time? I want to tell you that in Psalm 121 and verses 3 and 4, it says this about the Lord. Psalm 121 and verse 3. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121, 3 and 4. Jesus Christ does not slumber. He doesn't doze out. He doesn't forget. He doesn't go to sleep. He's not off half the time. Yes, he's got the time. Because he won't even allow himself sleep. Because he's constantly caring for you. Constantly caring for you. I don't care how much someone cares for you in this life. I know what they do with one-third of their day at least. They forget you and go to sleep. But not the Lord God. Not the Lord Jesus Christ. He cares for you day and night. Even when you're sleeping, forgetting Him. He hasn't forgotten you. He still cares about you. And as we saw in Job 33 a few weeks ago, He even speaks to us sometimes in the night. And instructs us. And guides us. And draws us back from the pit. Ever gone to bed in total despair and got up in the morning and Thought that life looked a whole lot better? I wonder what happened to you. You say, well, it was just getting a good night's rest. I say it's getting a good night's rest and meeting with the Lord by His choice. Because of Job 33, because it says these things God does oftentimes with men. I'm thankful that He doesn't sleep. Does He have time? Look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10. There's someone over here on the front row that sometimes picks a song about sparrows. Does he have time? If the Lord Jesus Christ has time for a sparrow, he surely has time for you. Now, if a king worries himself, it's not truly worry, but you know what I mean. If a king worries himself with sparrows, what's he going to do with a son or a daughter? In comparison, I read in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? A farthing is so small that we don't have any coin to really relate. It's just a part of a penny. Because two sparrows are worthless. The value of anything is determined by the demand for that thing and the supply of that thing. And guess what? There's a greater supply than there is demand for sparrows. Always has been, always will be. And so two of them are sold for less than a penny. They're worthless, is what the Savior is trying to say. They're worthless in any way that we measure things. We measure the value of a thing by applying a price to it. And when we apply a price to sparrows, we got to take two of them, and we still can't make a penny. And one of them, not both of them, one of them, shall not fall on the ground without your father. Does he have time? If he has time for sparrows that are worthless, 
the 31st verse says, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. The price he's put on our head, and he has paid a price for us. He's adopted us from death, from a slave market, from an orphanage, however you want to look at it right now for this moment. What was the price he paid? The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, punishing his son to death is the price he paid that is more than a penny, that is of infinite value. That is the difference in value, but not a single sparrow ever falls without the Lord Jesus Christ knowing about it, caring about it, and being involved in the matter. Does he have time? He's got this much time that this king would worry about this kind of a detail. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Now kings love to have statisticians around them. Lord, how many chariots do we have in the army? 1,000, my king. But no, we're not talking about chariots here. We're talking about the number of hairs on your head because the 30th verse right here tells me, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. When you start to think that you're insignificant because you're insignificant, And when we look at this earth, there's six billion of us running around on it with our heads cut off to and fro. And the earth goes on. One's born, one dies. Nobody cares. The the clouds don't slow down. The sun doesn't darken itself for a day because someone died. The earth goes on forever. And do you know what? If you look at that long enough, like five minutes, you'll despair. But there's a God in heaven who has the very hairs of your head numbered. Jesus cares. He is involved in the smallest of details. What would you have picked as the smallest detail and the least important thing about your entire being? Who cares how many hairs you have? You You don't count them. Well, some of you are getting closer, but we don't count them. But he knows them. That's detail. Why is that verse here in the Bible? Why is that verse here? Is it to fill up space so that he could get 31,178 verses in the Bible? Or is it there because he wants us to know that he cares? That when we have something going on in our life and we don't think anyone really understands, no man will know me, no man really feels the pain I do, there is no refuge, Jesus Christ knows. What is your pain this morning? Is it spousal pain? Do you have a spouse that left you? Do you wish your spouse would leave you? Do you wish you had a spouse? Do you wish you had a different spouse? Do you wish your spouse would treat you differently? Do you wish you could treat your spouse better? Do you have spousal problems? He knows the hairs on your head. Do you think he understands your spouse and your marriage? Oh, brethren. You are of so much more value than sparrows, and your marriage is so much more important to him than the number of hairs on your head. Can you reason from this passage and find great comfort and hope and peace? That he sees it all, he feels it all, and he has time for it all, and he isn't too busy. Right. Get ready for this passage. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. You're going to have to read all of this later. When you're studying for one sermon and you go to a verse and you say, oh, I wish I could just slide the rest of this over 
and teach and preach on that verse. And then while you're looking at that verse, it brings to your mind another verse, and you wish you could slide that over and focus this. Look at this passage. Does he have time? Does Jesus really have time to worry, to fear, to care about you? Listen to this. Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to read verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Now, this has it reversed, doesn't it? For weeks and weeks, we've been saying that your portion ought to be the Lord. Right. And what does it mean to make him your portion? Your everything, your investment, your purpose for living, your object of your affection should be the Lord. He should be your portion. But do you, do you see what this verse says? I don't believe it. Do you? Do you believe it? Amen. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Listen to this. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, Beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth. And I could keep on reading, but we are the apple of his eye. We are the Lord's portion. Does he have time? We're his portion. We're the lot of his inheritance. We're the apple of his eye. We're like little eaglets. He flutters his wings over us. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him. We are the Lord's portion. Does he have time? Indeed he does. Praise his holy name. What does he do with his knowledge of us and his feelings for us and his time that he does have for us? What does he do? Look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63 and verse 9. Isaiah 63 and verse 9. Does he help is our question now. Yes, he knows. Yes, he feels. Yes, he has the time for us. Does he help? Isaiah 63 and verse 9. In all their affliction, this is speaking of his people, and his people are... His portion. That's too good. It's just just too good. The angels ought to be his portion. He ought to be his own portion. But his people are his portion. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Amen. Does he help? When you're afflicted, he's afflicted. And he sends his angel, which is his Holy Spirit, the angel of his presence. I'm not going to chase that one. You should know that by now. The angel of God's presence is God himself. God does have angels. But when it's the angel of his presence, it's his presence, and an angel is not God. Don't get the two mixed up. It's the angel of his presence. 
in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bare them and he carried them all the days of old. Yes, he helps. He carries us and he bears us. He loves us and he pities us. And he's afflicted when we're afflicted. That Does Jesus care? Yes, he cares. He's afflicted when we're afflicted. Does he help? I remember a time in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 where it says that Jesus asked his disciples to take him across the sea. And they got onto their little ship and began across the sea and a great storm came up. That storm wasn't by accident. But a great storm came up and Jesus was asleep down in the ship. Sound asleep. And the waves were so great that the Bible tells us They filled the ship with water. Filled it. Filled ships don't float well. But the ship was full of water, and the disciples thought they were lost. They began singing about the men at sea and the peril of the deep. But then they ran down and got the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now what I've been trying to tell you is that he does care. Master, they said, Carest thou not that we perish? And how many times are we saying, either in words or in spirit, he doesn't really care. He's going to let me flounder. He's going to let me crash and burn. Carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus came up and rebuked the wind and the rain and the storm. Said, peace, be still. And immediately there was a great calm. And then he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And what was their lack of faith? They didn't believe that he cared. Carest thou not that we perish? Don't think that way. Don't think the Lord's dropped you. He's carrying you on his wings. He'll bear and carry you for the rest of your life and into heaven itself. Does he help? Yes, he helps. He saved his disciples. Look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18. This is one of my favorite places to go to when I'm troubled and I'm wondering, will the Lord help me? Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 5. I could read many verses here, but look at verse 5. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. Psalm 18, 6. In my distress I called upon the Lord. And cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry came before him. Even into his ears. Then the earth shook. And trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved. And were shaken. Because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils. And fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. That is how God answers the prayer of his own. When you in your distress call upon the Lord and believe in him, the earth shakes and trembles as he comes rushing on the wings of the wind to your aid. Does he help? Indeed he helps. Does Jesus care? Yes, he cares. This is how he comes. This is a place to go to for comfort and strength. Brethren, we have to ask ourselves, does Jesus change? Everyone else changes. I change. You change. 
you're not faithful, I'm not faithful. In any absolute sense of those words, does Jesus change? I hope you know Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. That's what we want to know, isn't it? Don't we all love the words, I will love you forever? Isn't that about the best thing that one person can say to another? I will love you forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, what I just read to you, today, and forever. Amen. He does not change. Everything that I'm showing you about him from the word of God, he does not change. He says, there isn't even a shadow of turning Amen. with me. Not even a shadow of turning with him. Every good gift continues to come from him because there is no changing with the Lord. He may hide his face for a moment, the Bible tells us, but he's going to quickly restore his mercy and his grace. Those are his words. I may hide my face for a moment. It's Isaiah 54, verses 7 through 10, but we're not going to look at it right now. That's all. Just for a moment. He just wants to see if you really miss him and want him back. Brethren, look at Isaiah 41. Let's ask ourselves another question. Does he promise us anything? Does Jesus care? When someone cares, they promise their help for the future. Does Jesus care? We've answered the question, does he know? He knows everything. Does he feel? Yes, he feels all our infirmities. Does he have time? Yes, though king of kings and lord of lords, he has plenty of time for us. We're the apple of his eye and his portion forever. Does he help? Yes, with his great might and power, he helps. Does he change? No, he doesn't change. He's the same forever. Does he promise us? Look at a promise. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Now that should be enough, shouldn't it? When the Lord says to you, I am with thee, is thee a singular or a plural pronoun? Singular. It doesn't say, for I am with ye, or I am with you. It's I am with thee. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That is a promise. He'll be there with his right hand. And brethren, when he reaches forth his right hand, who stops it? Who hinders it? Who can even question him reaching it forth? None, none can. These are his words. What do his words mean to you? Do you like promises like this? Amen. Take this promise and hold it. Isaiah 41.10 I am with thee. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Look at 44. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 21. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. 
I have formed thee, thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. Isaiah 44, 21. All that's going on in the universe, he will not forget us because he's chosen us to be his servants. Isaiah 44, 21. Look at Isaiah 49. I think you've probably said the words of verse 14. The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. You older than you think you should have been when you should have been married? The Lord's forgotten you? The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. This is in the word of God, as Zion saying this to God. Here's his answer when you think he's forgotten you. Can a woman forget her sucking child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. All of you men who have had wives that nursed your children, and you had a nursing child, a sucking child, when that child called, what did that mother want to do? Run and nurse that baby. We've seen it. The Lord is appealing to that picture for us. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? No, it is impossible. But the Lord says, Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. The rhetorical question is no, women don't forget their sucking children. No, they don't forget to have compassion on their sucking children. But it's just like when it says that when your mother and your father forsake you, the Lord will take you up. And so the Lord says, I will not forget thee. Even if that may happen once in a while, I never will. Forget thee. So our words of verse 14 are not good. When we say the Lord's forgotten me, the Lord has forsaken me. Brethren, look at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. What is the singular cure for covetousness, discontentment, and fear? Singular cure for covetousness, discontentment, and fear. Look at Isaiah, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For, here's the cure. He hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Does Jesus care? I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That is the cure for covetousness and discontentment, because you've got the Lord with you forever. How can you be discontent? What else do you want? He's everything. And it's a cure for fear because look at the next verse. It starts out with the word so, which means in this manner from these words, so that we may boldly say, how can we boldly say? Because he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Are you fearful this morning? Are you discontent with your life? Jesus has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's enough to solve all of that. Brethren, I know of a woman named Hagar. She was a bondwoman. She was an Egyptian. She was not a true wife of Abraham. And she was thrown out by an overbearing mistress named Sarah. And she had a son. 
and she went into the desert as far as she could go, and she had nothing to eat or to drink, and she fell down there under a bush to find some relief from the sun. Did God forsake her? Nope. But she was an Egyptian. But she was a bondwoman. But she was had a child. Who wants a woman with a growing child that's a bondwoman that's been thrown out by a previous owner? Did the Lord take care of her? Amen. The Lord came and visited her there. It's worthy of more than what I can give here. And she had to rename. She named God there. Thou God seest me. Right. And it's an awesome, awesome chapter, Genesis chapter 16, because she knew, as far as, far as she knew, there was one man that had a relationship with God, Abraham. But that God of Abraham came and appeared to her and talked to her there and blessed her greatly and said, Go back, I'll take care of you. And he, she blessed her, her son Ishmael abundantly. God takes care. What I'm answering is the question right now, does the Lord Jesus Christ have any references? If you're looking for someone to care for you, you'd like to know that they have some references. Who do, who do you want to pick? There's a whole Bible here of references of those that the Lord took care of. Right. Joseph was so hated by his family, all of his brothers, that he was sold into slavery and ended up in a foreign pagan nation by himself. Hated by all of his envious brothers. Did the Lord forsake him? No. Did Jesus care? Amen. What are the words that are so precious in Genesis chapter 39? And the Lord was with him. Amen. And the Lord was with him. In Potiphar's house, the Lord was with him. Ending up in jail, and the Lord was with him. I see two parents in the Bible, parents of Moses. They can no longer keep their well-favored, beautiful son hid at home. He's several months old now. So they put him on the water and trust him to God. Do you know what would go through a mother's heart? Every mother in here should know what should go through a mother's heart. Was the Lord with him? Amen. Was there anyone in Israel that the Lord was with more? No. Moses was his man. Did the Lord forsake Moses' mother? Did she hear that child crying and want to still nurse that child? Did she get to nurse that child? Amen. Yes. Yeah, I'm smiling because he's so great. Amen. He cares. Ruth was a Moabitess, hated by the Israelites. She was a widow. Did the Lord take care of her? Right. She's in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ by way of David. She was the great-grandmother of David. Did the Lord take care? Does Jesus care? Yes, he cares. I read about Hannah this week. So afflicted in her soul and so grieved and tormented by the other wife of her husband because that other wife had children and she, her womb was barren and she couldn't have any children for her husband. Did the Lord forget her and forsake her? Nope. 
She had four sons and two daughters before the Lord was over with her, and one of them was the greatest man in Israel. Every woman loves to have a son of whom she can be proud of and rejoice in God's blessing upon her. What do you think Hannah got to do the rest of her life? But know that there was down at the temple a young boy that God was speaking to at the age of five. Because he worshipped the Lord there. And for all of her life, he was the high priest and leader of Israel. and His name was Samuel. Esther was a little orphan girl. You want to feel neglected? How about being an orphan and having your parents killed by an oppressive foreign nation that comes in and then hauls you off into a strange land with strange customs and a strange language called Persia? Does Jesus care? Who was the queen of Persia a few years later? Esther. Praise his holy name. Don't you ever forget it. She could have said, but I don't have any parents. But I'm in a foreign nation. So could Joseph have said that. But they put their trust in the Lord, and the Lord took care of them. I could go on and on and on with examples. Was Daniel made a eunuch against his wishes by the king of Babylon and hauled off into a foreign nation? Did Jesus care? Amen. Why do we read in the ninth verse of the first chapter of the book of Daniel that the cap, the head of all these eunuchs, had tender favor for Daniel. Why? Because Jesus cared and didn't forget him. Brethren, John chapter 9, there's a whole chapter dedicated to a man that was born blind. He was born blind for the glory of God. And Jesus healed him from his blindness. And then he was persecuted sorely by the leaders of the Pharisees, the, the leaders of the synagogues and temple. Until eventually, with his sober, sound, godly answers, they threw him out. Do you know what it says in John chapter 9 and verse 35? That Jesus went and sought him. Amen. Jesus went and looked him up because he'd been cast out. They'd rejected him and he had given great answers. And Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And that young man said, Lord, show him to me that I might believe. Jesus said to him, I'm speaking to you. And he said, I believe. And he fell down and worshipped him there. Does Jesus care? Look at that tender compassion. I look in Luke chapter 7 and I see Jesus coming into a city of Nain. And as he comes in, there's a funeral procession going on. And there's a widow with her last son on the funeral buyer. And it's be it's moving. And Jesus, it says, had compassion on her. Right. And he walked up and he put his hand on that funeral buyer. And you haven't seen that done very many times. But he stopped that procession. Because there was a woman that had lost her husband. That's what a widow is, brethren. And she was losing her son. But Jesus had compassion. And he stopped that funeral procession. And he raised that young man off that funeral buyer. Praise his holy name. Does Jesus care? Yes, he cares. Does he care for you? Yes, he cares for you. You are his portion and the apple of his eye. What does he ask of us? He tells us that when we're in need, when we need help, Verse Hebrews 4.16, we read 12 and 13 to answer the question, does he know? We read 14 and 15 to answer the question, does he feel? Now what does he require? Come to me. 
Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we might find grace to help in time of need. Boldly come to me. I want to help, because I'm that merciful and faithful priest that was tempted in all points like as you are, that that feels every infirmity that you have. I'll help you. I'll give you help. That's the word. Hebrews 4.16, he wants us to come to him. He says, be careful for nothing. Right. Let's not let these pains, troubles, confusion, disappointments, hurt, weigh us down. Because to be careful for nothing means don't be anxious, fearful, or worried about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God in the peace of God, which passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. He will keep your heart. He will keep your mind with perfect peace that only He can give. All He says is, don't worry. Right. Turn it over to me. That's why he's, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Don't worry. Turn it over to me. Now, what's our verse that we began with? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. That burden that you're carrying, not on your back, in your soul. Turn it over to him and lay it at his feet. He cares for you. He can carry that easily. Because the Lord is our helper. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Amen. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right. Jesus cares. I hope you know that this morning. I hope that you'll trust him. Amen.